Big news coming out of the NFL this week. Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Washington Redskins, has finally relented and is now going to be changing the name of the Washington Redskins after being bitched at by a bunch of whiny white people on Twitter. Uh, Oh, hold on. I'm getting something here. Okay, apparently I am no longer allowed to refer to them as the Washington Redskins. So the football team from Washington, as many of the other media members refer to it as, uh, has, as you know, has undergone a big change here. We don't know what the new name is going to be, but it will no longer be that name I'm not allowed to say or the football team from Washington. Hold on, I'm getting, I'm getting an update here. Oh, all right. We are apparently not allowed to say Washington anymore. Either he's been canceled, so the football team that resides in the District of Columbia. Oh, what now? Columbia? Columbus? Canceled? Okay. The football team that just so happens to play in the general area around the Potomac River that resides between the states of Maryland and Virginia Another one? Really? Hold on. Football. Cultural appropriation? Oh, I get it, because football in every other part of the world is soccer, right? Oh, I can't say soccer, because that demeans the people who believe in football. You know what? Never mind. We're going to cover this controversy right after this music. I'm Harrison Bergeron, and this is The Right Opinion. The following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals. Even though that's pretty much the same thing these days, but that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the right opinion. These days, our media's either incompetent or malevolent. They don't believe in heaven, but they acting like they have been sent. Knowing the truth is way harder than telling it. We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent. Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit. We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Welcome back to The Right Opinion right here on therightopinion.podbean.com and iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and ratsaladreview.com and for that matter, hackerhameen.podbean.com but that last one, you know what? You're going to have to make a little bit of a change to your pod feeds, folks, if you are getting the right opinion at hackerhameen.podbean.com this will be the last episode available at that URL but I'm not going anywhere just yet. Hacker Hameen is still supporting the right opinion, or at least tolerating us, and we'll take it, being that everything else just gets canceled in every other area. So HackerHameen.Podbean.com, just to give you the quick rundown, is actually going to be split off. Um, HackerHameen.Podbean.com, or if you just search Hacker Hameen on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, all that good stuff, you'll find it there. We have a bajillion shows on there. And so we are kind of splitting some of them off. So hackerhameen.podbean.com will be where you can find pro wrestling and conspiracy theories. And the new platform is going to be hameenmediagroup.podbean.com. So be sure to subscribe to both. And obviously, if you want the right opinion, you're going to have to go to hameenmediagroup.podbean.com moving forward or and or. And or go to the right opinion.podbean.com and be sure to follow me on social media on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Parler at Right Opinion Pod. So that said, 
it's been a little while since I've talked to you fine folks, and uh, the whole world has gone to shit, which is it's nice to know that it's not just my personal life that is seeing some issues these days, but I've had a little bit of complications in my condo, I've had some complications uh, with my love life, I guess, for, for lack of a better term. Things have kind of settled down now, and uh, and I am happy to be back here talking to you guys if I haven't already said so, which I feel like I have. But as we heard at the top of the show, the Washington Redskins are changing their name. And yes, I'm still calling them the Washington Redskins until they come up with a better name. And look, some of the some of the, the, the contenders out there, I'm a fan of. I don't care one way or the other. I don't even watch the NFL anymore. And I most certainly was not a Redskins fan when I did. But that said, uh, the Washington Red Tails kind of just sliding right into that whole theme. Red skins, red tails, something supposedly offensive to something empowering. Awesome. I'm like all about it. Do it. Just just do it and get it over with because, frankly, I'm sick of hearing and now talking about it. But before I finish talking about it, let me go ahead and get into some of the statistics here. So the Washington Post has been on this crusade for a long time or along with the rest of the liberal media, but they tend to be a spearhead in a lot of efforts, and this is one of them. So they have been trying to get Daniel Snyder to change the name of the Washington Redskins for a long time now. And uh, one of the ways that they were attempting to do this was to prove that the Redskins name is in fact racist and offensive. The problem with the Washington Post, or for the Washington Post, is that Native Americans didn't necessarily agree. They, uh, They did a poll a while back, a few years back, of Native Americans and asked them if they felt that the Redskins' name was offensive, and it turned out that 9 out of 10 did not, meaning that just 10% of this, I'm sure, carefully selected Native American group was the only portion of the population that was offended by the Redskins' name. Now, obviously, if you did, like, just the littlest bit of research into the Redskins' name, you would know that the Redskins' name, uh, not only the, the the term itself was actually used as a term of endearment amongst Native American populations more often, at least as often, as it was used as a racial slur from old, ancient, now-dead white people who were probably very racist at the time. No one's going to debate that. But the Washington Redskins logo is actually designed after an actual Native American man who came in and was very happy to be part of the process. This is silly. This is actually a really good microcosm of what's going on in the world today, is that everything needs to be canceled, not because the supposed party that is offended is actually offended. No, no, because a bunch of whiny white liberals on social media have decided it must be so, regardless of whether or not the group of people that they are supposedly taking up for agree with their bullshit. So back a couple of years ago, the Washington Post did that poll. Nine out of ten Native Americans who took the poll said that they were not offended by that particular name or the logo or anything related to the Washington Redskins. Then the Washington Post said, okay, let's try this a different way. Let's give a a pool of Native Americans a list of, of adjectives to describe how they feel about the Washington Redskins name. And it turned out that the number one term that came from that list that was selected by that group of Native Americans who were asked whether or not they were offended or, or asked whether or how they felt about the Washington Redskins, the number one term that was selected from that list, proud. 
it's really funny that these leftists just keep falling on their face. And they, they say in the headline of the article is, um, you know, we did another poll of Native Americans. And no, it's not that poll, meaning the 9 out of 10 poll that conservatives and people who are defending the Redskins name continuously cited when anyone ever said, we got to change that name. It's racist. Really? Because 9 out of 10 Native Americans don't agree with you. Do you do you care about their feelings at all? Or you just care about your woke scoldness? Well, as we all know, they don't care about anyone that they actually pretend to be taking up for. They only care about projecting their wokeness. And so they continue this push and have continued this push to the point to where Daniel Snyder has actually relented. Now, my personal take for Dan Snyder, and I know he likes to own the Redskins and he wants to have the team and you know, obviously he's got a lot of money and he bought it for a reason. So he wants to maintain ownership of the team. But if it were me, I would have put my foot down. I would have said, absolutely not. I will never change the name of this franchise. However, if somebody would like to change the name of this franchise, they are more than welcome to try to purchase it from me. That will be $10 billion, please, which is much more than the Washington Redskins are actually worth. So Dan relented. Redskins will be the Red Tails or the Warriors or the DC Dickheads, like whatever they want to call them. It will be something uh, other than the Washington Redskins if and when the NFL actually resumes play. I probably won't even know when that happens because I could give two shits. Moving on from there, from the Washington Post, let's go over to the New York Times, another one of the spearheads of the liberal media movement, and let's talk about Barry Weiss who recently resigned and proceeded to turn around and set the building on fire on her way out the door. I set the building on fire. And boy, did she. So I'm going to read to you a little bit, not from her letter necessarily, although this article does give you several quotes from her letter that she sent to the editor on her way out the door. I'm actually going to be reading from, uh, this was this was a, a Star-Ledger, uh, which is a local paper here in New Jersey, um, a gentleman by the name of Paul Mulshine wrote this particular article. I was unable to find the original because I'm not subscribed to the to, to the uh, Star Ledger, but I did just so happen to find a copy of this article on NJ.com. So I'll read some of that to you. And I quote, A note to the editors of the New York Times. When Barry Weiss says you're too liberal, you're too liberal. Weiss is the Times opinion editor who went out last week with a bang by firing off a resignation letter in which she stated that, quote, a new consensus has emerged in the press, but perhaps especially at this paper, that truth isn't a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job it is to inform everyone else, end quote. That letter caused a big splash in the media with many outlets labeling Weiss a conservative. A conservative? Here's how Weiss described herself on a widely viewed interview with podcaster Joe Rogan. She says, and I quote, I'm a centrist. I'm a Jewish, center-left-on-most-things person who lives on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and is super socially liberal on almost any issue you can choose. Among the issues, she told Rogan, is the right to keep and bear arms, and she said, I quote, I would repeal the Second Amendment, end quote. There's plenty more where that came from, all of which would exempt Weiss from membership in my personal circle of right-wing reactionaries. Yet even her tame objections to Times orthodoxy got her harassed by her fellow journalists, Rice wrote, and I quote, Still other New York Times employees publicly smear me as a liar and a bigot on Twitter with no fear that harassing me will be met with appropriate action, end quote. She wrote, and I quote again, They never are. 
end quote. So she's got all the, and that's the end of my my blurb for right now. I think there's another little thing in here I might want to read, but let's just talk about this on its face. So we have a woman who is clearly a super social liberal, as she describes herself, a woman who wants to repeal the Second Amendment, and she's not woke enough for the New York Times. Now, a lot of the things that she talked about in her letter seem to be, for lack of a better term, anti-Semitism, is that, you know, anytime she would want to write an article about Israel or about Jews, there would be people putting little posts in their Slack app, which is kind of like an inner office communication app. It's like, you know, like a messenger system or whatever. They would uh, put like little eye roll emojis like, oh, Barry's writing about the Jews again. Yeah, what's wrong with that? I mean, like, if it becomes like a regular thing, fine. But I've, I've read some of Barry Weiss's work and, and most of it did not have to do with Israel or the Jews. And I'm not a particular fan of Barry Weiss, as you can imagine, with her ideology. Her and I don't see eye to eye a whole lot. That said, we definitely see eye to eye on this. The idea that, like she said, the truth is no longer something that we can collectively discover as a society, but rather a particular orthodoxy that the elite and refined amongst us must then disperse to us peons down here who don't know our elbows from our assholes, that is very much the ideology of not only the New York Times editorial board, but of also the Washington Post, anybody on mainstream media uh, outside of Fox, and even on Fox, it's just they, they lean on the other side of the aisle here, but I don't see Fox getting rid of Juan Williams or getting rid of um, Geraldo Rivera or whatever Democrat that they bring on or whatever centrist that they have hosting shows. I think Brett Baer left recently, but that was because his contract expired and he decided to go somewhere else because he's clearly not a fan of the president and Fox News obviously is. So, hey, he took his ball and he left. Catherine Herridge did the exact same thing. She went over to CBS and then decided to interview President Trump and ask him really stupid, really biased questions about why black people are still dying at the hands of police. Why would you frame that question like that? And you know what? Side note here, Catherine Herridge, generally, really, really good journalist, somebody I've talked about on here all the time. No one that I'm aware of does the deep dives in the mainstream media the way that Catherine Herridge does. She literally sits down, prints out the documents, highlights them, sends screenshots out to everybody, breaks down what they mean, what they might be referencing, any precedents. Like, she's very, very good on an analytical level when it comes to breaking down the news. But that said, the way that she framed that question to President Trump, why are black people still dying at the hands of police? I, I mean, Trump did not answer it in the most articulate fashion, and nor do I ever fully expect him to. But the idea that black people exclusively are being murdered by police is silly. On a statistical basis, Trump was right. More white people are killed by the police every year. Now, is it on a per capita basis? No, but that's also for obviously other reasons that I've talked about in the past, not the least of which is that 50% of the violent crime in our country is committed by 18 and 49-year-old black males, which make up precisely 6%, or roughly 6%. Of the population. So 6% of the population are committing 50% of the violent crimes. So if you wanted to say, hypothetically, that yes, white people make up a larger portion of the population than black people do, about five times as much, as a matter of fact, then you would imagine that if you were going to extrapolate that out, that white people would commit five times as many violent crimes as black people when that is simply not the case. 
Now, I'm not making this an indictment on black people. As a matter of fact, statistics have shown that 99% of African Americans do not commit violent crimes. It is that 1% of the larger group that is ruining it for everybody else and causing all of the hysteria that we have now. And the fact that the police aren't able to do their jobs for fear of being personally shunned from society, uh, fired, or even, for that matter, charged with crimes like felony murder, as was the case uh, with the with the officer down in Atlanta who shot Rayshard Brooks, perfectly justifiably, in my opinion. But we'll see what a jury has to ultimately say. Anyway, that was a bit of a sidetrack there. Catherine Erridge, yada, yada, yada. Brett... Uh, back to Barry Weiss here. Now, again, Barry Weiss, not my favorite journalist, not somebody who I agree with on much of anything. But when she, as this particular author, Paul Mulshine, wrote, when she is telling you you're too liberal, you are too liberal. Now, what does too liberal mean? Well, if you are of the belief that the Second Amendment needs to go, you are too liberal. You also don't actually like America. Now, it's not to say that you like need to be a gun guy to love America. It's just that like it's an, it's it's built into our constitution for a reason. That reason is becoming more and more painfully obvious as we are seeing rioters tear apart our major cities and we are seeing efforts to pun intended handcuff our police at every conceivable turn. We are now cutting their budgets. We are we are mercilessly ridiculing them in the media, which is obviously if you're a police officer and you're going to a scene of a crime and you think you might need to use force now, you're either going to hesitate, which could put your life in danger, or you are, you, you know, you're worried throughout the entire process that like, even though I'm doing what I was trained to do, and I am here with the thought in mind of protecting the people in this neighborhood, I could, I could get fired. I could be plastered all over the news and painted as a bigot with no evidence whatsoever required to do so. I could be charged with crimes that apparently I've committed, which, again, would run contrary to all of the training I've ever had. We are making life very difficult for police, and as a result, they obviously are not going to be as effective, whether it be voluntary or involuntarily, uh, that, that you know than they were before. And now we're actually seeing the elimination of plainclothes police in New York City, and as a result of that, crime, particularly violent crime, is continuing to rise. Now, if you ask Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who made a statement about this earlier in the week, she seems to think that that is because lots of people are unemployed, and lots of people are worried that they're going to go hungry, and to an extent, I can understand her point. We all know that poverty breeds crime. That is why a lot of these neighborhoods have the problems that they have. And it's not because black people are poor. It's because poorer neighborhoods tend to have more black people in them. They're not exclusively black. They're not exclusively Hispanic. They're not exclusively white. There is a nice mixture in there of, of people of all races in every socioeconomic class. And in that particular, you know, in, in the lower end communities, because people are impoverished, they are more likely to commit crimes. That said, the... Maybe the most coherent thing I've ever heard Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez say slowly fell apart when you actually looked at the numbers. She was making the claim that people are perhaps committing robberies because they are worried about feeding their families. Well, there's actually a crime called petty larceny, which is usually like shoplifting, going into a store, taking a pack of gum, taking a, a, you know, a, a loaf of bread or whatever it is. Those are the kinds of things you would do if you were actually genuinely concerned about feeding yourself. But that is not the case. As a matter of fact, petty larcenies are actually down in New York City during this time period. It's the violent crimes that are going up. And that's probably because 
police officers who patrol these areas now are A, more hesitant, and B, more visible because they're no longer in plain clothes. They are in marked police cars or in their uniform, which means that criminals can see them from a mile away. And as a result of that lack of kind of shroud that the police had once at their disposal, criminals are going just buck wild in New York City and people are getting shot at an irregular pace. Bill de Blasio is determined to turn New York City back into the days of death wish, which is a bad thing in the short term. But in the long term, I mean, it may very well result in New York City having to elect another Rudy Giuliani-esque mayor to come in and clean all this up. And I think that would be a good thing. I just hope it doesn't necessarily get to the point to where it's so bad that, uh, that that obviously there's an excess in loss of lives above and beyond what we're dealing with now, which is already a bit of an excess unto itself. And uh, let me move on here. Actually, let me let me stick with the police message here because obviously everybody saw the federal police have rolled into Portland. And uh, there's a lot of fear-mongering going on about this. I woke up on, I want to say, Saturday morning or maybe Friday morning, and I happened to be flipping through Twitter, and I see hashtag Gestapo is trending. And, of course, I immediately knew to myself, oh, wow, Trump must have finally sent in the troops. (laughs) Because I knew that was going to be the reaction when Trump finally sent in the troops, which was inevitable. If you let your city get completely overrun by a bunch of masked lunatics for 50 days— Eventually, the president of the United States has to step in and do something about this. He cannot, you know, if he's following his oath and trying to protect the American people, allow this stuff to go on in good conscience. And so him and uh, and obviously Attorney General Barr and, uh, for that matter, the uh, director of Homeland Security or the acting director of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, have decided that enough is enough. It's time for the adults to go in and, and ruin thing and, and ruin the party for everybody. And I've never been happier to see a party end in such an abrupt manner. So here's where this all breaks out is obviously Portland is a shithole of of the highest magnitude, one of the biggest shitholes we have here in the United States, and has been overrun, like I said, by the bunch of mass lunatics, the the Antifa types with uh, some Black Lives Matter kind of peppered into there, uh, those who haven't been completely dismayed by the Antifa infiltration of their cause, and they're running around Portland after the curfew, setting stuff on fire, spray-painting buildings, firing fireworks at federal buildings, all of this sort of stuff is unacceptable to any rational human being, but of course the mayor of Portland continued to allow it to go on. So, like I said, uh, Barr and Trump and Wolf all decided it's time to uh, to go shut this thing down. So they sent in federal police, which are largely militarily you know, trained. Uh, at least you see them all in the full camo gear and all that sort of stuff. They do, despite the fact that you're seeing people on the media saying, oh, they're, they're not marked and we don't know who they are. Like you didn't, you, the military style guns and the, and the camo didn't give it away. Well, the big patch on their back that says police probably should. Also, they have patches on their shoulder that indicate that they're from a variety of different federal organizations, everybody from border patrol to ICE to, uh, to, uh, to, to the, you know, uh, alcohol, tobacco and firearms. Like it's all these different groups, Homeland Security in particular, these task force have been sent in there to, like I said, to to end the party because this has gone on for way too long at this point. And Trump has been saying, if you don't get this under control, I'm going to do it for you. Then 
the police roll in. And these are not regular old police. These are federal police. Again, most of them have military training, military garb, military weaponry, for that matter. And they are rolling through these towns in uh, in these scary, unmarked cars. You hear this on on social media, too. Everybody is so worried about, oh, my God, these, these police are rolling around in unmarked cars. Like, have these people never actually interacted with police? Do they not pay attention when they're driving around? Maybe I had one too many speeding tickets as a, as a youth, and uh, and I'm hyper aware of the police. But I I live in a small white suburban town that has virtually no crime. We have no less than three or four unmarked cars in our police force, or at least I grew up in a town that had one. I don't know about my current town, but neither here nor there. Um, it's a very small town. I don't even think I've seen the police uh, station to be honest with you here. But um, yeah, the unmarked cars again. This goes in line with the theory that I was talking about before about the plainclothes policemen is that if you give these police forces marked cars that say police in big letters across them well then the criminals who are out there looting and rioting can see them coming a mile away and they'll scatter before they're able to be detained it is the job of these particular police to go in and detain people who are violating curfew and rioting and looting and attacking federal buildings and statues and things of the like so, Gestapo, they are not. I don't seem to recall the Jews burning Ber- Berlin to the ground for about 50 days before Hitler said, you know what, let's go in and take care of this. No, no, that's not how that worked at all. The Jews were largely minding their own business and not bothering anybody. And then Hitler brought in the troops, shoved them into trains, and shipped them off into concentration camps, a la what China's doing to the Uyghurs right now, but neither here nor there at the moment. And then you got the cops, not only in Portland, that have, well, you know, I feel bad for the cops in Portland because a lot of them are trying to do what's right and wish that they could, but they're being, again, handcuffed by the people in charge, telling them you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't use these measures for dispersing crowds, you, you've got to just basically stand there and take it, and frankly, that's not what they signed up for, and God bless all of them, I hope they all get out of this okay, because frankly, they're just being put in danger by the leadership, by the government in uh, Portland and at the state level for that matter. Then I happen to see some other stuff going on in Grant Park in Chicago. You may remember Grant Park. Obviously, it's a big park, but that also happened to be where Obama had his big celebration after he was elected in 2008. And I was flipping through Twitter, and I happened to see aerial footage of a statue. I couldn't quite tell what the statue was. my, My general assumption would be that it was Grant, whoever he may be, is it Ulysses? I don't know. I'm not going to dive too deep into it because, frankly, the statue may not be there for very long anyway. But uh, the statue is basically in the middle of this big circular platform in the middle of the park. And the aerial footage was of the police lining that circular platform around the uh, the statue and protesters, in quotes, firing bottles and and fireworks and anything that they could throw at these police from all angles. I mean, these cops are in some serious fucking danger out there. It was frightening to watch, to be honest with you. And may I suggest to President Trump, A.G. Barr, and uh, acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf, think it's time to take a trip over to Chicago, fellas, and uh, let's straighten this thing out as well. Now, a lot of people are talking about how this is illegal and yada, yada, yada. Well, a lot of the things that are being attacked in these particular cities are technically on federal property. So the federal police have every right to go in and defend those areas on top of the fact that there's obviously just general lawlessness going on. And the attorney general has had enough of this. They have been analyzing 
hours upon hours upon hours of footage of all these protests. They have managed to arrest quite a few people that they know definitively were involved in the taking down of several statues and defacing of several buildings and possibly even being leaders of certain Antifa groups. As a matter of fact, I believe one of the people that was arrested, I think it was the guy with the hammer um, in New York City, but I'm, I may be getting several stories mixed up here, but one of them was from uh, a couple towns over from me in uh, in New Jersey, and uh, it was kind of weird to even hear that because Morris County, New Jersey is where I grew up, and uh, it is actually a slightly right-leaning city, according uh, county, according to most recent poll statistics that I've seen. It's about 50.6% Republican versus about 48% Democrat. So here he is, this this lunatic from Morris Plains, New Jersey, who's out there in Brooklyn for some reason protesting and doing all the stupid shit that he did, and ultimately it ended up in his arrest. Good, as far as I'm concerned. Look, I've said it from the beginning. I will continue to say it. Unlike the left, I'm very consistent of my thought process. I don't have a problem with you having a problem with any of these statues. If you don't like a statue of a Confederate general, look, it's not my place to tell you how to feel. <laughs> Unlike you, I don't do that sort of thing. That said, if you are so upset about it, all I'm asking is go about it the right way. Like, you know, run for office or sign a petition or have a peaceful protest where everybody just sits around and does that. Look, we saw plenty of those for all of the talk that I've done here and that the right-wing media has done about a lot of these protests being violent. A lot of them were, but there were some peaceful ones. And frankly, even I think those are the most effective ones because they obviously, once when you go out and you protest and there's nothing bad that we could say about your movement, we have no choice but to at least listen to what you're saying. Might we disagree? Absolutely. But when you're out there acting a fool and looting and setting stuff on fire and breaking into businesses and all that kind of stuff, no matter what your point was, no matter how right you may have hypothetically been, your, your opinion is now invalid. This is the right opinion. Yours is the invalid opinion. See the difference? Yes. There's a little bit of consistency in one of them. But hey, I don't know. Maybe that's just my whiteness talking. And yes, that segues me into this poster that was put out by the National Museum of African American History. Well, let me go ahead and read to you what the top of this poster says, and then we'll go through some of the particulars of it, and uh, we could see just how openly fucking racist this whole thing is. So, the, the poster reads, Aspects and Assumptions of Whiteness and White Culture in the United States. White dominant culture, or whiteness, refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes, and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practices in the United States. And since white people still hold most of the institutional power in America, we have all internalized some aspects of white culture, including people of color. Let's just take a second to analyze that sentence there, that rather long run-on sentence. Um, actually, it's two sentences, but they started the second sentence with the word and, which I don't feel like is necessarily the king's English, but we'll discover that that's part of my whiteness. Um, normalized over time. This is something I've seen uh, people trying to defend this online, and they're saying, oh, it's not anti-white, yada yada. And look, I'm not defending white people. I don't give a shit. Like, I mean, I, I only 
find it ridiculous when these criticisms are only cast upon one group of people. This has actually very little to do with the fact that I'm white. I don't really, you know, <laughs> I've said this before, I've, I'll say it again, of the many people I have a problem with in the world, most of them are white. So, I, you know, <laughs> I, to, to suggest that I am in any way in lockstep with all of my fellow white people as if we are some sort of weird hive mind is kind of silly. That said, let's look at some of these aspects of whiteness and white culture. The first one on the list is rugged individualism. The individual is the primary unit. Self-reliance, independence, and autonomy are highly valued and rewarded. Individuals assumed to be in control of their environment, quote, you get what you deserve, end quote. So you get what you deserve is, uh, it, to me, the fact that they pulled that specific quote out is that's that's right out of the joker right you get what you fucking deserve they obviously didn't put the fucking in there but the fact that it's in quotes and it's thrown in here is kind of an, another thing where they're trying to paint all white people as the weird incels that arthur fleck was in the joker by the way if you guys haven't seen that movie yet what the hell is wrong with you go watch joker Anyway, so rugged individualism is apparently a white thing, which is weird because I know a lot of black people and they tend to be fairly ruggedly individual. Um, are, you know, the, the idea that being an individualist is somehow an exclusively white thing seems just racist. I mean, there's really no other word for it. Also, self-reliance is a white thing. Is that to imply that people who are not white demand that they are dependent upon other people because that again sounds pretty freaking racist um, independence and autonomy are highly valued and rewarded i mean i don't know that they're necessarily always rewarded but they should most certainly be highly valued after all we do live in a country that was founded on the notion of independence and autonomy but hey you know i guess that's just white people ruining things for everyone else, I guess. The next thing down the list is family structure. The nuclear family, father, mother, 2.3 children, is the ideal social unit. Husband is breadwinner and head of household. Woman is homemaker and subordinate to husband. Children should have their own rooms and be independent. All right, so the whole husband is the breadwinner and head of household and wife is a homemaker and a subordinate to the husband thing. I mean, I don't know if they've been awake for the last... Uh, 40, 50, 60 years or whatever the case may be, but that's clearly not the normal dynamic in most homes these days. Um, obviously, a lot of women work. Uh, I don't think most women find themselves acting uh, you know, subordinate to their husbands. As a matter of fact, most happy marriages work kind of as a mutual thing where they are both not necessarily um, congruent to one another but they are definitely equals just in different respects as men and women tend to be different unless of course you're a radical leftist in which case you think that they're all just the same thing in different packaging and that packaging can change at any given time depending on how you're feeling at any given moment so the family structure having a father and the mother in the home having children who have their own rooms and are independent now, children having their own rooms is a socioeconomic thing. If you can't afford a second or third bedroom for your multiple children, sure, they'll they'll sleep in the same room together. That's not something that's exclusive to black people. That's not something that is excluded from white people. This is, frankly, just nonsense. And we've also, as I've discussed many times here, the family structure is incredibly important. 
the lack of, fa- of a father in the home can be linked directly to the likelihood of a particular child to be imprisoned, to not graduate from high school, to later be impoverished. All of these things are, are, as a matter of fact, you know what, don't even take my word for it. I'm going to give you somebody who's not white, but perhaps has internalized their whiteness. Here is Marcellus Wiley, former NFL defensive player, um, and he was speaking on ESPN of all places. They were asking him about the Black Lives Matter movement, and here are his thoughts after he did some digging into the movement and what it stands for. Ah, it's not a good idea. Um, I do want to give the players credit for their flex to even get this to be more than just an idea, but something that's going to be in reality. I give the players that. Um, But there's a problem with when you start to go down this road of the freedom of expression, freedom of speech, and how much social space is allowed for those who don't support in that same space. And that's where I, I wonder where this is going to go in terms of identity politics. We know what identity politics does. Uh, it, it divides and it polarizes. No matter how you want to look at it, that's just the effect of it, no matter how great the intentions are. And we all know the road to hell is paved with good intentions. intentions. So it's an interesting play right here. I don't know how many people really look into the mission statement of Black Lives Matter, but I did. And when you look into it, there's a couple things that jump out to me. And I'm a black man who's been black and my life has mattered since 1974. And this organization was founded in 2013. I'm proud of you. But I've been fighting this fight for me and for others a lot longer. Two things. My family structure is so vital and important to me. Not only the one I grew up in, but the one I'm trying to create right now. Being a father and a husband, that's my mission in life right now. How do I reconcile that, what I just told you, with this mission statement that says, quote, we dismantle the patriarchal practice. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. When I know statistics, when I know my reality, forget statistics. I knew this before I even went to Columbia and saw these same statistics that I'm going to read to you right now. That children from single parent homes versus two parent homes. The children from the single parent homes, this is in 1995 I was reading this. Five times more likely to commit suicide. Six times more likely to be in poverty. Nine times more likely to drop out of high school. Ten times more likely to abuse chemical substances. Fourteen times more likely to commit rape. Twenty times more likely to end up in prison. And 32 times more likely to run away from home. I knew that. You know why I knew it? Because a lot of my friends didn't have family structures that were nuclear like mine. And they found themselves outside of their dreams and goals and aspirations. So when I see that, or as a mission statement for Black Lives Matter, it makes me scratch my head. When I also see their mission is to eradicate white supremacy. In 2020, white supremacy is the mission. Woo, that's a lot of digging through minutia right there. I am on a show that I'm hosting along with another black guy who is hosting with me, who replaced another black guy. And that's just one example of it. So I understand. I respect your space. I respect what you're protesting for. But will you respect others who don't support that same protest? Let me answer that one. No, they won't. They most definitely won't because to even at any point in time, let eke in the slightest bit of rational, dare I say, conservative thinking on these types of matters will inevitably crumble the very world that they have built for themselves. And let's make no mistake about it. They have built this world 
for themselves. They have built this world where they are not black people, but the liberals and the, the, the leftists and all the lunatics that you see marching through the streets. They have determined that they are victims of a system that has been more generous to any to 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 not only its citizens but citizens of other countries than any other system in the history of mankind. Yes, were there mistakes along the way? Were there dark periods in our history? Yes, absolutely. Nobody is perfect, not even America. But we have been increasingly getting closer and closer to perfection over time, not farther and farther away from it. The family structure is incredibly important to all people's lives, not black lives, not Hispanic lives, not white lives, not polka-dotted lives, not gay lives, all lives. Very similar to all lives matter. These problems are not exclusive to the black community, but the idea that the liberals keep patting black people on the head and telling you, don't worry, it's not your fault, it's the system, is counterproductive. It is not helping anybody, and it is most certainly not helping black people or helping race relations in this country, which, if it is such an unbelievably racist country, is only going to make things harder for black people. They they don't ever think things through, and they don't ever start at the beginning. They always start stories in the middle. Kids are in cages at the border. How'd they get there? Well, their parents dragged them illegally across the border. There you go. It's these kids. We're not going into Mexico and scooping up kids and throwing them into cages for no good reason. There's also like actual court decisions that were passed that mandate that we do these things. But again, the facts, the data, the reasoning, they are not interested in any of it. And that is exemplified by the next thing on this poster. Apparently, you have internalized your whiteness if you put emphasis on the scientific method. You know, the method that has been used to, like, prove things true or false for as long as it's existed. Uh, If you are putting an emphasis on objective, rational, linear thinking, which is precisely what I was just talking about, is they are not interested in objective, rational, linear thinking. Not, again, black people in general, but the left in general. If you think there are cause and effect relationships, which is sort of weird because the entirety of their whole cause here, the Black Lives Matter, the liberals, the the, the LGBT movement, all of this sort of stuff, all they ever do is say that this happened and that has affected us negatively. That thing that happened, that would otherwise be known as a cause. So there is a cause and effect relationship even within their own ideology, yet they're claiming that that is somehow internalized whiteness. Also, if you are putting an emphasis on quantitative emphasis, um, which is just seems like something that everybody does, but I guess that's just a white thing, and I must be living in my little white bubble to not recognize that. Furthermore, history. They talk about if your history is based on a Northern European immigrant's experience in the United States or has a heavy focus on the British Empire, which, oh, by the way, the sun once never set upon, so it was pretty significant in in the world uh, at one point or another before we kind of drove a stake through its heart or at least began that process. Then moving on from there, the primacy of Western examples are Greek and Roman, as well as Judeo-Christian traditions. Mind you, last I checked, there's a large amount of religious black people in this country. This is actually part of why I always say the the black voting bloc is way more conservative than they actually will ever 
truly recognize unless obviously they, not to have it explained to them, but until they start to open up and think about uh, other ideas other than the ones that they have been perpetuating for years that have apparently not done anything to help them because they're still out here marching and complaining and whining about the system that's so racist and that system, of course, in large cities where most of these problems occur, has been run by Democrats for as long as anybody could conceivably remember. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm like, these things are so baffling. I honestly don't know how I can provide commentary onto them any further than the ridiculousnesses of the statements themselves. But hey, I'm out here trying. Moving on from there, the Protestant work ethic to suggest that work, uh, hard work is the key to success, whiteness. If you work before you play, whiteness. If you, if you didn't meet your goals, you didn't work hard enough, that obviously is whiteness. Now, I want to say that there is a massive flaw in that last one. Plenty of people try as hard as they could conceivably try to meet their goals, and unfortunately, they just don't do that. Now, is that because of some systemic problem, or is that because they were never fully equipped to meet those goals in the first place? Again, not saying that that's a racial, sexual, whatever thing. That is just people in general. A lot of people have goals, and most of them don't reach them. Not all all the time is that because they didn't work hard enough. They may have worked as hard as they could conceivably work, and they're just not equipped to meet those particular goals. I, for instance, wanted to be a rock star at one point in my life, tried pretty hard at it, joined a bunch of bands, you know, wrote a bunch of songs, did all that sort of stuff, even went to school for music. But at the end of the day, I just didn't necessarily have the chops, the connections, the time, or the patience to dive all the way into that. It was not for lack of hard work. It was for ultimately lack of opportunities and lack of um lack of uh well I guess lack of talent too in some connect in some respect but also a lack of connections a lack of exposure all of those sorts of things not always within your control so regardless of what color you may be you can work as hard as you can conceivably work and you still might not meet your goals which is why it probably makes sense to evaluate and see which goals are most realistic and what you can achieve for instance I was probably never going to be a rock star no matter how much time and energy I put into it. And at the end of the day, I've managed to move on to different goals that are more reasonable and ultimately have bettered my life because I've been able to reach some of those goals. And now I sit in you know my condo that I own and yada, yada, yada. I'm able to f- provide for my kid, never missed a child support payment. Actually, never missed a payment payment, but uh, that's neither here nor there. That's another whiteness thing, I guess, is that I don't spend money I don't have, so I don't have credit problems, but that's actually not on this list. That's just me rambling here for a little bit. So let's move on to religion, because we already kind of talked about this a little bit. If Christianity is the norm, anything other than Judeo-Christian tradition is foreign, or you have no tolerance for deviation from the single God concept. So yes, apparently black people are all polytheists. Who knew? They're, they're all worshiping at the altar of Zeus and Hera and Hades and all that sort of stuff. I guess, you know, monotheism is exclusively a white thing. I, this is news to me. But then again, uh, Christianity has been the norm for most of my life, even though I'm not necessarily a regular church goer anymore. Um, I, I'm still a believer in a certain respect. I don't necessarily agree with most of what goes on in and around the church, but I believe there's a creator. I believe we're all here for a reason. I believe somebody or rather something, created us, or created this universe, or at the bare minimum, put the chemical components into place in order for the our universe as we know it today to ultimately manifest, and here we are. And now you're sitting around listening to me, 
wasting all of that goodwill that God gave you because let's face it, you could be using this time better to meet some of your goals. But hey, maybe you're like listening to me in the gym. Awesome. Maybe you're just listening to me because this is how you get your news. Even better. Um, I'm, I'm kidding, by the way. Keep listening to me. Moving on from there, status, power, and authority. Uh, if they, If you believe that wealth equals worth, which I guess on a technical basis it does, but it doesn't necessarily mean your personal worth. I don't think that's something that's exclusive to white people either. Um, moving on from there, if your job is who you are, I'm white, and I don't necessarily believe that my job is who I am. Uh, I am who I am, and my job is how I fund what I like to do and what I need to do for that matter, you know, bills and kids and all that good stuff. Respect authority. Respect authority is on this list. So apparently only white people respect authority. That's it. That's just white people. And this is apparently a bad thing because it's being, quote, normalized. Also, if you have a heavy value on ownership of goods, space, and property, well, I am sorry to inform the the National Museum of African American History that happens to be in America, but the ownership of goods, space, and property is one of the foundational principles upon which our democracy, or rather our republic, is founded on. Life, liberty, and property, right? John Locke. If we lost, and I just saw a PragerU video the other day, actually I haven't watched it yet, it's in my watch later uh, video, but it, it was entitled, If We Lose John Locke, We Lose America. And that's absolutely right, because the foundational principles that were laid out by John Locke in the, the right to life, liberty, and and property, which was adopted by our founding fathers to be life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, property ownership is important. Your personal autonomy is important. If you'd rather just live on a commune and share everything with everybody, you are welcome to even do that within our system. Go buy some property out in the middle of bumfuck Wyoming, and you can start your little commune, and you can live as socialistly as you'd like to live. That is how our system, our system is so awesome that we will allow stupid systems to reside within it just based on the idea of liberty alone. Go do it. Otherwise, get the fuck out of my face. Moving on from there, future orientation. If you plan for the future, if you have delayed gratification for the purposes of planning for your future, if progress is always best, which is really weird coming from people who are obviously progressive, as they themselves will tell you, if you believe that tomorrow will be better, these are all future orientations that are part of your internalized whiteness. So let me just under get, the, you know, let's just kind of do a little, actually, you know, let me move on to the next one. Time. If you follow a rigid time schedule, that's whiteness. If you believe time is a commodity, that's whiteness. Now, the first one was really striking to me, right? Because I, I have black friends, and we joke around, and they rip on me, and I rip on them, and, like, obviously everybody knows sort of some of the cliche stereotypes. If you've ever watched any sort of stand-up comedy, like, this is regular material all the time. I used to bust my friend's chops all the time about them being late. I go, oh, I guess that CPT really is a thing. CPT is colored people time, for the record, and that's the terminology as it was given to me by people of color, so don't come after me for colored. Um, but neither here nor there. They're suggesting that only white people are on time. They're, they're saying in this document, in this poster, it's not a document, that being on time, being punctual, is a white person thing, which to me sounds like they are actually suggesting that CPT is a real thing 
and is inherent in people of color. That is whew, beyond racist, right? Like, I mean, come on, man. All right, so I've got a few more to go, and then I'll kind of do a summary here. Aesthetics, based on European culture, steak and potatoes, quote, bland is best. Women's beauty, based on blonde and thin, quote, Barbie. Man's attractiveness, based on economic status, power, and intellect. Got a couple things here. Um, bland is best is not necessarily true, although having, again, some friends of color. I am well aware that white people, much like our inability to dance, have an inability to properly season food. Uh, this is not something that is a general thing across the board, but particularly when you're when you're online and you see like the stupid shit about white people putting blueberries and mac and cheese and stuff like that. Unfortunately, that is whiteness. <laughs> that is as whiteness as whiteness gets, as is like you know eating squirrels or whatever the fuck. There's there's some. I mean, white trash is a thing, right? Like, we all know that's a thing. It's not all white people. That's why we designate those people as white trash. But the idea that bland is best is not general a general concept that we have so much as an inability, apparently, to properly season food. Hey, again, I'm not defending white people here. As a matter of fact, I'm going to actually mildly agree with that one. Not so much, again, that it is a trait that we've learned and, and have perpetuated so much as it, it's, a, it's an it's an inability within our community. Man's attractiveness based on economic status, power, and intellect. So, mentioned at the top of the show, got some problems in my love life, yada, yada, yada. I'm uh, single again, so there's, you know, letting you know what the problem was. But uh, my ex-girlfriend, before uh, things went off the rails, we were actually having a conversation about this. And granted, she's white, but this, let, let's point this out because she has friends of color as well. Um, is that you, we were talking about the fact that a uh, man's attractiveness is based on economic status, power, and intellect. Now, we weren't talking about it that exact way, but it came up in the topic of we were talking about why, you know, certain why, why, why black women end up dating white men and why white women end up dating black women. And it's not like an incredibly common thing, but it's obviously becoming more and more common, and that's great. Like, that's awesome. Interracial marriages and couples are not something that, frankly, I distinguish from same race couples or same sex couples or whatever the case may be um but nevertheless uh there are there is an there is an element to man's attractiveness based on economic status power and intellect and and my ex-girlfriend said to me that's you know why she thinks a lot of black women find themselves attracted to white men we were talking about karen from uh <laughs> that karen from the washington post who was talking about how she would internalized her, her love of white guys while also simultaneously hating white people and all that kind of stuff. And this came up, and she goes, well, why do you think that is? And I go, honestly, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what attracts somebody to somebody else. Like, I, I, even in general, I don't really necessarily know, but to say a specific person why she likes white men as opposed to black men or whatever it is. And my ex-girlfriend said to me, it's like, because, you know, a lot of white people, like white guys, they, they have jobs, they have places, they have futures. Like, not to say that all black people don't, but when you're talking about these particular communities of struggle, would you rather go outside of the community and date somebody who does, you know, have had a father in the home and isn't as likely to commit violent crimes and isn't as likely to be a drug addict and isn't as likely to, uh, you know, to, to end up in prison and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. Now, does that necessarily mean that needs to be a white person? No, but if that's your criteria, you are going to find that more often in the white community than you are 
in other communities, but you won't find it as often in the white community as you find it in the Asian community. So, you know, to suggest that white people are like the top of the heap here, I mean, the one thing that I took away, well, I took several things away from this, but one of the things I took away from reading this poster on whiteness is, wow, Asians are really white. Like, Asians are whiter than white people are. And I mean, I guess skin tone notwithstanding, that may very well be true, but ultimately, these things are not exclusive to whiteness. A lot of these things, as a matter of fact, are not inherent traits. They are learned traits. And unless this particular poster in the Museum of National African American History or whatever it is, unless they are suggesting that these are genetic things that are inherent in white people and white people exclusively and, for that matter, genetically not within the DNA or the, the, the mental makeup of black people or people of color— that, to me, is like the most racist conceivable way of looking at this. As a matter of fact, it puts their position about half of a degree away from that of white supremacists who believe that white people are genetically superior. Apparently, the people who comprise this particular poster also feel that way. They just think that it's not good that white people are genetically superior. Whether or not you're suggesting it's a good or a bad thing, frankly, the fact that you're suggesting it's a genetic trait within white people that only white people have is pretty freaking racist. On top of the fact to suggest that black people or people of color in general cannot learn these traits or that it is a bad thing that they're learning these traits is nothing short of harmful to said people of color. Andrew Clavin on The Daily Wire said they might as well just poison the water in black communities. This is just as bad as that. By telling communities of color that it's not okay to have a typical family structure, it's not a good thing to have a father in a home, it's not a good thing to plan for your future and delay gratification, it's not a good thing to work before you play, it's not a good thing to follow rigid time schedules, this does nothing for these people that they are trying to help. And again, these are not inherent traits that white people have. These are learned traits that everyone can learn. And if they follow most of these things, like they work before they play, or they plan for their future, or they follow a rigid time schedule, or they believe in rugged individualism and personal autonomy, those things will benefit people and make sure that they have better lives. But we can't allow that to actually happen because then the Democrats lose a victim class and then they lose voters and then they lose ultimately their platform. That said, there are a couple of other things towards the bottom of this particular Oh, it cut off. You know what? I'm going to just cut it off there. Um, there was a couple of other little things here that were all along the same lines. And again, the stance of the people who put this together are that black people obviously must be inferior to white people because, you know, they are allowing these things that are white to infiltrate their minds. And this is bad. OK, well, I mean, you can look at numbers. Get rid of the race. You can look at numbers as far as, like Marcellus Wiley broke out there, what happens if you don't have a father in the home? How much more likely are you to drop out of college, be impoverished, go to jail, yada, yada, yada? Those are, those are numbers that are not exclusive to any race. Those are widespread, multiracial pools of people. You can grab any people, any subsection of people, and you will find that these things are true because not having a father in the home is means that there's a lot of discipline that's not being taken place in the home. Even just not, not having a father, not having two parents in the home, 
means that you know that there's there's a little bit more room for freedom and a little bit less room for familial education than otherwise would be present if there were two parents in the home. And that's not to suggest that you cannot be successful and overcome some of those things if you are the result of a single parent uh, single parent home. You can, but it is less likely that you will. And telling people that that scenario is ideal is bad. Period. Moving on. Masks. Everybody's got to wear one. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. There's been a lot of hoopla about masks and, for that matter, about schools reopening. I have here for you a article, rather a study, from the University of Minnesota. And they are talking about masks. The headline reads, Commentary, Masks for All for COVID-19 Not Based on Sound Data. Let me repeat that. Commentary. Masks for all for COVID-19 not based on sound data. Let's dive into this article here and I quote, If the data are limited, how can we say face coverings are likely not effective? We agree that the data supporting the effectiveness of a cloth mask or face covering are limited. We do, however, have data from laboratory studies that indicate cloth masks or face coverings offer very low filter collection efficiency for the smaller inhalable particles we believe are largely responsible for transmission, particularly from pre- or asymptomatic individuals who are not coughing or sneezing. At the time we wrote this article, we were unable to locate any well-formulated studies of cloth mask leakage when worn on the face, either inward or outward leakage. As far as we know, these data are still lacking. The guidelines from the CDC for face coverings initially did not have any citations for studies of cloth material efficiency or fit, but some references have been added since the guidelines were first posted. We reviewed those and found that many employ very crude, non-standardized methods or are not relevant to cloth mask coverings because they evaluate respirators or surgical masks. And the article goes on to talk about how, uh, obviously, the particles that this virus may very well be made up of that float out in the air that you can inhale and get are actually too small for most cloth masks or face coverings to actually block at any point, effectively meaning that you are not doing anything to help prevent this disease from coming into or out of your body into the general atmosphere around you because, frankly, the masks are not fine enough to stop the particles from traveling in or out. Also, they talk about in this study some of the messaging issues that have been going on in that a lot of people in the media are telling you that masks are so good and masks are so helpful, even though, as they've said up to this point, they are not, uh, by any scientific measure, definitively helpful here. But they're also saying that masks are a substitute for social distancing, which is incorrect. The social distancing is definitively effective, whereas the masks are not. And the messaging from the media that basically the two are one and the same is actually dangerous to the general population because they're wearing these masks thinking they're protecting themselves and others when in actuality there's a strong likelihood that they are not. The article goes on and says, Will face coverings flatten the curve and stop the pandemic? We have reviewed the many modeling studies that purport to demonstrate that cloth masks or face coverings have the potential for flattening the curve or significantly decrease the number of cases. These studies fail to recognize several important facts. 
The filter performance of a cloth material does not directly translate or represent its performance on an individual because it neglects the understanding of fit. Many of these masks, even the R, uh, the N95 respirator masks, are supposed to be fit to your face in such a way to where there is an air seal, basically, so that things are not particles are not leaking out the sides or through the mask. None of these studies take any of that into account. They just kind of say that the same, having a cloth mask or having a regular, you know, like just a bandana or something over your face is the same as having the best conceivable mask that you can have when obviously that is just not the case. Another point here, cloth masks or coverings come in a variety of shapes, sizes, and materials and are not made according to any standards. Transmission is not simply a function of short, random interactions between individuals, but rather a function of particle concentration in the air and the time exposed to that concentration. Last point that they have, a cloth mask or face covering does very little to prevent the emission or inhalation of small particles, as discussed in the in an earlier CIDRAP commentary, and more recently by Morawaska. Moroska and Milton in 2020, those are people's names, and I butchered them, that's cool, in an open letter to the World Health Organization signed by 239 scientists, inhalation of small infectious particles is not only biologically plausible, but the epidemiology supports it, it, it as an important mode of transmission for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. In summary, though, we support mask wearing by the general public. We continue to conclude that cloth masks and cloth coverings are likely to have limited impact on lowering COVID-19 transmission because they have minimal ability to prevent the emission of small particles, offer limited personal protection with respect to small particle inhalation, and should not be recommended as a replacement for social distancing or reducing time in enclosed spaces with many potentially infectious people. For that matter, I'm actually going to take a quick pause here. Go outside. Don't stay inside. A lot of these states that we're seeing the rise in cases in are a lot of the states that are seeing very, very hot weather. And yes, we all said that the warm weather might very well negatively affect this virus, but that's only if you're outside in it. You have to actually be out in the hot weather in order for this to somehow impact the virus. If you've all run back inside, turned on the air condition, and sit in your closed loop of air that is being recirculated in and out of your house, if you have anybody in your house who may have contracted this, congratulations, you all now have it because you can find yourself into an area where there was somebody who could transmit it to you. It's sort of like sending sick people into a nursing home and then leaving them all there to die because that's ultimately what ended up happening in a lot of cases. But um, the last of this little article here, they say we are very concerned about messaging that suggests cloth, ma cloth masks or face coverings can replace physical distancing. We also worry that the public doesn't understand the limitations of cloth masks and face coverings when we observe how many people wear their mask under their nose or even under their mouth, remove their masks when talking to somebody nearby, or fail to practice physical distancing when wearing a mask. That's the end of that article. I'll have that one in the show notes for you there. But basically, long story short, is that despite the fact that you keep being told that these masks are definitively helpful and they are definitely solving this problem, there is no scientific data, according to the University of Minnesota, to suggest that that is actually true. Moving on, let's keep it rolling here. Schools, should they open? I'm a father. Absolutely. I've already told my kid, I don't care if they don't open your school. I will break into that bitch and make you sit there all day. 
<laughs> okay. Obviously, that's a little bit of hyperbole. She looked at me like I was being genuine. Honestly, it's not something I wouldn't do, so I can see why she might be concerned. But President Trump wants the schools open. Most of the conservatives want the schools open. Dr. Fauci, Lord Fauci, Darth Fauci, if you will, even he wants the schools open. The head of the CDC wants the schools open. And for that matter, these pediatricians want the schools open. This is on NBC News. These are all pediatricians who all happen to be parents. And they were being interviewed, again, on NBC News. But I want you to pay attention to the anchor at the end of the clip and just how utterly befuddled he is by the fact that all of these actual experts who actually know what they're talking about and, for that matter, have skin in the game. They have kids that will be going to school in September if they get their druthers, have their druthers. And uh, here is the clip from NBC News asking these pediatricians slash parents how they feel about the kids going back to school in September. Would you let your kids go back to school? I will. My kids are looking forward to it. Yes. Period. Absolutely. Absolutely. As much as I can. (laughs) Without a hesitation. Without a hesitation, yes. I have no concerns about sending my child to school in the fall. I would let my kids go back to school. Dr. John Torres, NBC News. They all said yes. Yeah, because they actually know what the fuck they're talking about. They're also, again, experts. They're also somebody who people who have skin in the game. They're not some loser sitting at an MSNBC anchor desk and pretending like they actually know what they're talking about. These are people who actually know what they're talking about. And the Democrats don't want schools open. Why is that, you might ask? Well, that's because that is just a further sign of the chaos that we are in. And the more chaos that we are in, regardless of whether or not it is actually the president's fault, it is an opportunity for them to blame the chaotic situation that America is going through right now on President Trump, despite the fact that, you know, in my humble opinion... He happens to be doing everything he could conceivably be doing to solve all of these problems. He acted swiftly and in accordance with the science on coronavirus. He allowed the states to make decisions based on their individual demographics and see exactly how they think they can best handle these situations, being that they are on the ground and they know their constituents better than obviously the president would, being sitting, you know, being that he's sitting much far farther up on the uh, hierarchy than they are, and they are much more in touch, you would think, with the people in their districts, in their states, yada, yada, yada. So what is the brilliant solution that Democrats are coming up for? Because I actually, I was sitting, I was watching uh, the, one of the press meetings the other day, Kaylee McEnany was, was schooling some liberals left and right, and somebody actually asked her, like, what does President Trump have to say to the parents that are going to have to deal with what they're, you know, to, to deal with their kids being home again in the fall? And they're saying that as if this is Donald Trump's idea to do this. He has been more than adamant about the fact that he wants the schools open. He wants them open, completely open, five days a week, six hours a day or whatever it is. He wants the schools open in September of 2020 in the exact same fashion that they were open in 2019 with some obviously added mitigation efforts when necessary, particularly for the teachers who are really the only ones in any actual risk here. Now, if you have a kid and they have some sort of immunocompromise or they're obese, okay, maybe your kid can be the exception to the rule and they can school remotely. And for that matter, the teachers can school remotely. Here's my suggestion here has been my suggestion since this became a hot topic. And if I'm repeating myself, I apologize. But 
I would send all the kids to school. I would send all of the teachers to school that felt comfortable doing so, and the ones that do not, I would hire teachers' assistants to physically stand in the room, preferably younger students, potentially even education majors that are going to be teachers in a couple of years down the line. We could chalk this up. We could call it an internship, and we can have younger, healthier people there to physically monitor the children while the teacher teaches from home via Skype. If you have an issue with going to the school, we can accommodate you, but we need the kids to go to school because not every adult can work from home, which means that they are going to be able, they're not going to be able to work because they're going to be at home watching their kid while their kid is watching a computer screen instead of sitting at a school watching a computer screen in my hypothetical awesome way of fixing all this. But Bill de Blasio, I'll tell you. He's obviously much smarter than I am because he came up with a solution, and guess what? No surprise, it involves free shit, which is his favorite shit in the world. Bill de Blasio's favorite word in the English language is free. He makes Bernie Sanders look like a fiscal conservative sometimes. Bill de Blasio's brilliant idea in New York City is to help the parents that might have to stay home and watch their kids. New York City's going to provide free childcare. Where, you might ask? Well, they are looking into churches and recreational centers and schools to have these massive childcare facilities that are apparently going to be city-run and city-funded with city taxpayer dollars. So let me get this straight, because even my 12-year-old couldn't figure this out. She also thought this was the dumbest conceivable way of dealing with this. I, I said to her, I said, uh, you know, Miss Bergeron, what sense does it make if you don't want kids in school, but you want them in a school to not be taught anything? Like, if you're going to physically go to school, shouldn't school just be going on? Like, you should be learning stuff? If you're going to be in school, you should be learning stuff, right? She's like, yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the learning, <laughs> she said to me, but I understand that that's what I'm there to do. And so I said, okay, so they don't want to put you in school because they're worried that you might get sick, but they will send you to a school to be monitored by, you know, glorified babysitters, and you'll just be sitting in a school with the same kids that you would have otherwise been sitting there with, and none of you will be learning anything. Does that make any sense to anybody? Anywhere? This is the brilliance of Bill de Blasio. Hey, just keep on running New York City into the ground. I only have a handful of people there that I care about, at least one of which is trying to get him and his family out as soon as conceivably possible. So once that happens, let that motherfucker burn. I live in New Jersey. I'll bring the hot dogs and the marshmallows. We'll all have a good old time. That said, um, Bill de Blasio, he's sort of a communist. You know who also are communists? China. Shoutouts to my boy Strangler Steve and Billy Ray for that matter. What's going on, fellas? And uh, anyway, so Bill Barr went on a tirade this week about China. And um, I, I feel like this is really important um, because it, this is the first real, not the first real, but this is like a public diatribe from our attorney general talking about the lawlessness and the corruption and the illegality about what's going on in China and the people here in America who enable them and allow them to continue the bullshit 
you know, oppression, real oppression that actually exists in China where they have concentration camps, real concentration camps, not border facilities where children are being held because their parents dragged them across a border, not 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 being oppressed by federal police after 50 days of setting a city on fire. They have real oppression and real concentration camps in China and yet the American, particular corporations, continue to kowtow to them because they want that sweet, sweet 1.2 billion person market that they can make a boatload of money on, not to mention the child labor that they can exploit over there. So here's Bill Bartz, a few different clips, and I'm going to play each of them and kind of comment quickly, and then hopefully we can move on to more China-related stuff, because uh, let's face it, there's going to be a lot of that between now and November, because I think this should be a central component of the Trump campaign. If I am the Trump campaign, at least from now until September, I am talking about we are the campaign that wants schools open. That will resonate with a lot of voters, particularly, you know, educated white women, which seems to be like a big voting base. Any mother out there who is going to be stuck at home watching their kid instead of going to work... I know. How terrible. Not like that wasn't the way that things used to be and things weren't so terrible when that was the case. But, you know, these women, they want to work and good for them. Like, I, I can appreciate anybody who wants to go out there and earn a living for themselves. But they're going to be stuck at home watching the kids in a lot of cases. Some husbands will as well. I would imagine that the person who's making the most money will continue to work and the other one will be stuck at home watching the kids. And according to the left, you know, wage gaps and all that sort of stuff, most of the time, that will be the husband working and the woman uh, the wife, for that matter, at home watching the children. If you tell them, as the Trump campaign, that we want your kids in school, we are not the ones causing your current dismay, that is a point that I think they can win. Also, the Trump campaign needs to focus on law and order. They want to defund the police. We want to defend the police while getting rid of the bad police that are within the system, that are making it harder for everybody else, and, for that matter, making it harder for people of color, white people, all of the different colors and shapes of people that have been victimized by police brutality or by uh, corruption within the law enforcement system, the courts, yada, yada, yada. No one denies these things exist, but they do not exist at the frequency in which the media will let you think that they do. Also, um, we are, we, you know, we, we are, we are pro-school openings, we are pro-law and order, and we are anti-Jaina. That is huge. People, huge, people will start to ultimately come to grips with the fact that China is as evil as virtually any regime has ever been in the history of mankind. And if you keep hammering that point home, not even Disney, Apple, and the NBA will be able to cover up for all that sort of stuff. Eventually, people will come to that realization, and it's very easy to draw the lines between Joe Biden and China. And uh, and they and make no mistake about it, the Trump campaign will do that, and they should because that's a huge one. If everyone was so concerned about Trump being in bed with the Russians, you know, a country that has the GDP of fucking Delaware and abundant, the only threat that they have to us is that they occasionally hack some stuff, which we do as well to them and to China, and China does way more hacking, as we'll hear from Bill Barr here in a second. But the only threat that Russia has to us is their nuclear arsenal. Well, China's got one of those too, on top of the fact that they're oppressing people. They've got 1.1, 1.2 billion people in their country, and they are the second biggest market in the world behind us, and they desperately want to take that spot 
from us. They actually are in the position to possibly do that, whereas Russia was never going to ever be any viable threat. So if Donald Trump being a Russian was a big concern, Joe Biden being in Xi Jinping's back pocket should be of a much greater concern, and conservatives need to drive that point home. Anyway, here is Attorney General Barr on China. For American companies in the global marketplace, free and fair competition with China has long been a fantasy. To tilt the playing field to its advantage, China's communist government has perfected a wide array of predatory and often unlawful tactics, currency manipulation, tariffs, quotas, state-led strategic investment and acquisition, theft and forced transfer of intellectual property, state subsidies, dumping, cyber attacks, and industrial espionage. About 80% of all federal economic espionage prosecutions allege conduct undertaken for the benefit of the Chinese state. And about 60% of all trade secret theft cases have been connected to China. China. Um, So this is something I talk about all the time. This is, uh, well, maybe not on this show necessarily, but when I talk to people particularly about the trade effort, the trade deals and the efforts for Trump to combat China and all that sort of stuff, I'm not a huge fan of tariffs. Not a huge fan whatsoever. I believe in free markets. I believe in, you know, in, in in a free economy and the ability for free trade. I believe in all of that. I don't believe that tariffs are necessarily a good mechanism by which to try to level the playing field, but make no mistake, we are trying to level the playing field. China has no regard for its own citizens. It will work them to death. It will work their children to death in order to try to manufacture things at a lower rate and at a faster rate and at a larger quantity than we can ever do here because we actually care about people. We have OSHA. We have regulations that are in place. And while regulations are not necessarily always my favorite thing, some of them are good at the end of the day, right? They protect people from dangerous work environments and from being overworked and underpaid. And okay, cool. I'm all for all of that sort of stuff. I think that could be done through a free market, but I at least understand why the regulations exist and why they're there. The notion that we could ever truly have a level playing field with China, which is what we would need to have in order to altogether rule out tariffs, is just silly. Again, they exploit childhood labor. They exploit practically slave labor from these concentration camps. They'll exploit, uh, you know, exploit regular everyday citizens. That's why their factories have suicide nets around them, because people will leap to their death rather than live another day in that fascist regime, which is what it is, and it's actual fascism, not Trumpian fascism. Yeah, I'm such a fascist. I gave the states all the ability to make all their decisions. <laughs> I got them this time. There's that 4D chess everyone's always talking about. Anyway, let's get back to Bill Barr and hear what he has to say about China. Anyway, back into China here with Bill Barr. Let's hear what he's got to say. Sadly, examples of American business bowing to China are legion. Take Hollywood. Hollywood's actors, producers, and directors pride themselves on celebrating freedom and the human spirit. And every year at the Academy Awards, Americans are lectured about how this country falls short of Hollywood's ideals of social justice. But Hollywood now regularly censors its own movies to appease the Chinese Communist Party, 
the world's most powerful violator of human rights. This censorship infects not only the versions of movies that are released in China, but also many that are shown in the United States theaters to American audiences. All right, he's going to get back into it here and give you some examples. I'm also going to add at least one on to the end there. And I know he's talking about Hollywood and he's talking about the Academy and all that kind of stuff. But let me just deviate from there to the NBA for a second. How many times have you heard Stephen Curry or Steve Kerr or LeBron James or whoever it is speak out about things that are going on in the Trump administration and in America and they don't like this and they, I mean, they're grossly misinformed in a lot of instances and who could blame them? I mean, most of them don't don't even have college educations. Um, but nevertheless, not that I, not that to suggest that that's necessarily something that you need in life, but going through college and getting the experience of interacting with people and networking, that's really where you do a lot of the learning and that's where hopefully you would absorb some new and different ideas, although I'm probably being a little too pie in the sky in relation to today's college atmosphere, but neither here nor there. They're, they're wildly misinformed, and that's fine. They're still, they're allowed to be passionately stupid. It's part of the First Amendment, and one of the things that I actually like so much about it, because it exposes the idiots. These people are all idiots, not because they're basketball players, or not because they didn't graduate college, but because the facts dictate that they are idiots when you hear what they have to say. So, they, they seem to have a big fucking mouth when it comes to Donald Trump or America or the police or whatever the case may be. You don't hear a damn peep out of them about China. Why? Because the NBA relies on the Chinese market and have for quite a while, certainly going back at least as far back as Yao Ming, uh, where they would go over there and do regular showcase games and they'll do like a season or two, you know, they'll do like a season a game or two over there in the big stadiums and let the Chinese see the NBA up close and personal. But this guy's got a big mouth when it comes to Trump, who doesn't throw people in concentration camps, who doesn't have factories in his country that have suicide nets, who doesn't exploit childhood labor, who doesn't manipulate Hollywood into doing its dirty deeds for him. But China... It's all good with China, man. They, 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 they just they don't even see it. They don't know who Uyghurs are. They don't know what oppression actually is. They don't. They have no idea. And if they, and I'm being generous and suggesting that they have no idea, because if they do have an idea, and they're not speaking up, not only are they idiots, but they are cowards. And the NBA is going to let players put social justice messages on the back of their jersey instead of their name this year. How many of them you think will have anything having to do with what's going on in China? And let me answer that for you: zero, because the NBA won't let them. I could guarantee it. Even if one of them had the stones to do it, the NBA would not allow it because the almighty dollar is far more important to them than actual problems going on in the world in actual countries that are run by actual fascists with actual concentration camps. That said, let's get into Bill Barr's examples of Hollywood films that have been altered not only overseas, but here in the States at the behest of the CCP. Yes, the China Communist Party, not to be confused with CNN, which is the China News Network. Bill, take it away. For example, the hit movie World War Z depicts a zombie apocalypse caused by a virus. The original version of the film reportedly contained a scene with characters speculating that the virus may have originated in China. China. But the studio, Paramount Pictures, reportedly told producers to delete the reference to China in the hope of landing a Chinese distribution deal. The deal never materialized. 
In the Marvel Studios blockbuster, Doctor Strange, filmmakers changed the nationality of the major character known as the Ancient One, a Tibetan monk in the comic book. Changed it from Tibetan to Celtic. When challenged about this, a screenwriter explained that if you acknowledge that Tibet is a place and that he's Tibetan, you risk alienating one billion people. Now, you're not risking alienating one billion people. You're risking alienating the handful of people that control the one billion people. Because even if the one billion people didn't know Tibet existed, hypothetically, I don't think they'd be offended by finding out that it did. It's the government of China that doesn't want you to know that Tibet exists, or certainly doesn't want their citizens to know it exists, because it stands against what China stands for, and that is simply not allowed. Also, the Hollywood elite's wants to kowtow to China allowed them to whitewash a character that was otherwise a person of color in the name of kowtowing once more to China. Now, I got no problems with Tilda Swinton. I'm a big Marvel fan, and I thought the Ancient One was a great character. I thought she did an awesome job, but that character is supposed to be an Asian man known as the Ancient One, and they changed it from an Asian man to a white woman. Can you imagine any other scenario where a character is changed from a person who is of a minority race to a white person that would not cause a massive outcry from the woke scolds on the left. They would be freaking out about, oh my god, you're whitewashing this character, yada, yada, yada. But no, as soon as they found out that, oh, it's actually because China asked us to? Oh, all right, well then never mind. All hail Lord G. But, man, Bill Barr. He, he really did lay this out in such a magnificent way. Also, I'm going to add one more thing into it, too, is that Disney and all their wokeness, and again, I'm a big Marvel fan. I watch all the movies, even though that they cater to China. At a certain point, I got to allow myself some freedoms and some luxuries because if I got rid of everything that morally uh, offended me, I would just be sitting in a room reading the same six books that I, I have on my bookshelf here. I have more than six, but... Uh, probably some of them are offensive and morally reprehensible, but nevertheless, I read them because it's important to get everybody's perspective. But Marvel, Avengers Endgame, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, uh, they had their first openly gay character in the movie. And they made a big hoopla about it, even though the woke scolds weren't happy about it because it wasn't a big enough role. But don't worry, that's coming in the Eternals. There was a gay character played, weirdly enough, by the director of the movie who's married with children. But... um. Joe Russo was in the movie. You may remember it if you saw the movie. There was that big scene towards the beginning of the film where Captain America's got like a support group that he's running. And there's a guy he's talking about going on his first date since the incident. And uh, and he mentions casually that the date that he took out to dinner was a man. And that's it. He's an openly gay character. They were very proud of this. We finally got a gay character into the Marvel movies. It only took us 22 of them to get it there. Um, but this is something that I don't know if that specifically was, although I'm led to believe that it was, um, but China often censors homosexuality and LGBT characters out of its movies because it goes against their line of thinking. So Hollywood, in one hand, needs to be more inclusive of LGBT characters, but on the other hand, is willing to bow to 1.2 billion people that, uh, or rather the government that runs 1.2 billion people because those 1.2 billion people will never get the opportunity to spend their money on that movie unless they cater to the Chinese government. So... They love the LGBT community until the China money shows up, and then all of a sudden it's, eh, fuck them, who cares? 
They didn't care about the whitewashing of a character. They don't care about the censorship of gay characters. They just, despite the fact that they will tell us, as Barr said at the, at the Academy Awards every year, how woke they are and how terrible the rest of us are, they are actually just as terrible, if not worse, than they claim the rest of us to be. So that's it on Barr on China. But you know who loves China? I already told you. But Joe Biden. Sleepy creepy, flippy, floppy, sloppy, malarkey, Joe. Well, Joe not only loves China, but apparently is fond of Chinese history. As a matter of fact, he quoted his favorite Chinese dictator recently during a virtual fundraiser, and he didn't go for any of the bottom of the barrel dictators that they got over there. Xi Jinping ain't nothing compared to Mao Zedong. And sure enough, that is who he actually quoted. This is a real thing in a virtual fundraiser. This is the guy who's the moderate, who doesn't want to defund the police. He doesn't want to drastically change America, even though he's also said that he wants to transform America. It's almost like from moment to moment, he doesn't remember anything that he said five minutes ago. I may be giving his short-term memory a little bit a little bit of credit on that one, but nevertheless, I have an article in the show notes for you from the Epoch Times, or the Epic Times, as they call themselves apparently, because all of the ads on YouTube when I watch YouTube are for this newspaper. I read you already. I'm not subscribing. I get enough free content. It's the same way I feel about the Daily Wire. Don't feel hurt about it. I can't give money to every conservative outlet. I need money for me. <laughs> like I need money to pay my bills, feed my kid, all that good stuff. So Epoch Times, Epic Times, whatever you want to call yourself, I get it. I respect it. But please, for the love of God, tone down the YouTube ads. But maybe those are the only ads that are targeted towards me because of the content that I watch. I don't know. But let's get into this article here. Joe Biden quoting Mao Zedong. So the article reads headline, Biden quotes Mao during virtual fundraiser. And I quote, presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. I love how they're still putting presumptive in there because, like, does anyone really think this guy's going to get across the finish line here? I'm really, I'm really, no, you know, I'm, I'm not even optimistic about it. I feel really bad that they kind of put this guy in this position. Like, he's just a doddering old fool who barely knows where he is. He's just going to get completely friggin' drubbed by Donald Trump in a debate if he has the balls to show up to one anyway. But uh, presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden quoted Mao Zedong, the former communist leader of China, during a virtual fundraiser on July 13th. Quote, we've got to get real economic relief into women's hands now, end quote, Biden said before telling people on the call that he wanted to cite, quote, an old Chinese proverb, end quote, and he goes on to say that women hold up half the sky. This quote was first presented by Mao in a bid to reinforce supposed government support for equality between men and women. Mao's rule resulted in the deaths of tens of millions of Chinese due to purges and disastrous policies. The Biden campaign didn't reply when asked whether Biden was aware of the phrase's provenance. Wow. Um, so he's, I mean, what are the chances? That That is... It, granted, it kind of sounds like an old Chinese proverb, I guess, women hold up half the sky, but the fact that he used that quote and didn't know where it came from would be shocking. Now, obviously, we know he doesn't write these speeches because he's not really even capable, but whoever was on his team that wrote this speech definitely had to have known the origin of that quote and nevertheless threw it in there. Now, it's not an entirely radical concept, I get it. It wasn't like he was quoting Mao in in a, in you know in some sort of lengthy economic policy that he wants to echo but 
The quote was, as this article pointed out, first presented by Mao in a bid to reinforce supposed government support for equality between men and women, which doesn't that sound like that's what Biden's doing here? I mean, first and foremost, we all know that there is no massive gap between men and women in the United States anymore. They've had the right to vote for 100 years. The wage gap, if it exists at all, is widely exaggerated by people on the left. It has much more to do with decisions in terms of education, the type of job that you apply for, how much vacation time you take, yada, yada, yada. Not to mention that if you're going to look at the jobs on men making more like money per hour or making more of a salary than women men also tend to take a lot of the more dangerous jobs there's not a lot of you know like deep sea crab fisher women there's not a lot of women who work in subway tunnels or uh, in coal mines and all that kind of stuff granted there are some but the vast majority of the people who occupy those positions are men and rightfully so they get paid a lot for those jobs because they're freaking dangerous they're putting their lives on the line for something more than $15 an hour, one would hope. But yeah, that's Joe Biden quoting Mao Zedong. No biggie. I mean, we all know he loves China anyway. He flew his son over there on Air Force Two to go secure $1.5 billion in a, in a business partnership deal. But maybe, maybe, you know, maybe Joe didn't know it was a Mao quote. It, it, after all, I mean, it wouldn't be necessarily the first time that Joe is plagiarized. We all know that that is something that he's a big fan of going all the way back to his run for president in the eight in the 1980s. Um, he's, he's been guilty of it several different times, but recently another example of plagiarism just so happened to pop up from old, creepy, sleepy, flippy-floppy, malarkey Joe. And I uh, got an article here from PJ Media. Headline reads, Joe Biden literally just plagiarized Bernie and AOC's leftist platform as his own. I, I thought he was a moderate. I thought he was a conservative-ish Democrat, if there is such a thing, a centrist, if you will. I mean, he doesn't want to defund the police, but he just agrees with all of the other things that are being said. By the way, we'll get to the defund the police thing in a second here as well. But let's read this article from, like I said, PJ Media by Victoria Taft. It's uncanny. Bernie Sanders writes something and it comes out of Joe Biden's mouth. Stumbling word for word. The front-running Democratic candidate is once again being given the organized left's full-throated endorsement, and why wouldn't they? Biden has literally stolen, a.k.a. plagiarized, their very words and platform as an oppo research study has just revealed. On MSNBC, Bernie Sanders said if Joe does what he says he'll do, Biden will be the most far-left, quote, progressive, which I thought progress was a, was a white thing, but hey, I guess Bernie and Joe were still white, right? It's not a big deal when they do it, I guess. I don't know. Nevertheless, Bernie says that Joe Biden will be the most far-left progressive president since Franklin Delano Roosevelt, which is pretty much who Bernie stole his entire platform from. His platform was almost verbatim FDR's second Bill of Rights. So FDR, president in the 30s and 40s, mind you, that is before the party switched, I think thought, but neither here nor there. FDR wrote a thing in the 30s, the second Bill of Rights. Bernie Sanders in 2020 adopts that as his presidential platform, and then that presidential platform is copied verbatim, virtually, by Joe Biden. And I'm still to believe that the party switched in the 60s, despite the fact that the two most prominent Democrats in the United States today are virtually exactly echoing the sentiments of FDR back in the 30s. 
30s, 2020, 60s are in between there, right? So how did they switch if they all still have the same ideologies today? Weird. Anyway, so Joe Biden is obviously literally a puppet. I mean, he he cannot get from point A to point B without Dr. Jill Biden's hand up his ass to make sure that he knows what to say and where to go. On top of the fact that obviously his staff is writing things for him that quote Mao Zedong and Bernie Sanders is praising him. So, I mean, he's clearly not that moderate. But what he's trying to do, like what, what Biden is trying to do from a campaign strategy is present moderation, present centrism, so that when he can get into office, he could turn back around and cater to the radical left who got him into office in the first place. He is not going to be a moderate or non-radical president should he get in there, mostly because he won't be making a lot of the decisions. People like Bernie, people like AOC, who are advisors for his campaign, people like Ayanna Presley and Ilhan Omar and Ben Rhodes will be back in the White House almost undoubtedly. Obama's going to be in his ear. He is going to have virtually no decision-making power. He'll have the physical power. It's just that he won't be the one enacting it. It'll be all of these people telling him what to do, and he'll just do it because, frankly, he's too old and too unaware to know any better at this point. He also doesn't know any better than to defund the police. Now, he keeps saying, and his campaign keeps saying, that he doesn't want to defund the police. Unfortunately, the evidence suggests otherwise. But where did this all really come to a boiling point? Well, Donald Trump was on Fox News this week being interviewed by Chris Wallace, who's still there. I have no idea why this guy. This guy was once somebody like that everybody kind of considered to be fairly balanced. And now I don't know that anybody gives a shit about what he has to say. I mean, by virtue of the fact that he's on Fox, the left can't stand him anymore. And by virtue of the fact that he does stupid shit like this, anybody who watches Fox, I would assume, can no longer stand him. So Trump says to Wallace, Biden wants to defund the police. And Wallace, in his infinite wisdom, decides to try to fact-check the president of the United States during the interview and does so incorrectly. He says, no, Biden has said he does not want to defund the police. Well, maybe he has not said so in so many words, but let's go to the videotape. What exactly did Joe say in relation to funding or defunding the police? Here's an interview he did recently. So my generic point is but that do we, we agree that we can redirect some of the funding. Yes, absolutely. So we can redirect some of the funding. Is is that money being redirected back to the police or is it going somewhere else? Because if it's going somewhere else, that would otherwise be known as defunding the police. So this is another one of these stupid word games that the liberals do. No, we don't want to defund. We just want to redirect. Okay. I mean, you can do all the dances you want. We know what it means at the end of the day. We're not stupid. I mean, you want to take money away from the police and you want to redirect it to community organizers and social workers and all of these lovely people who really do mean to do good, but will be inevitably put in danger if they're starting to be put in as substitutes for police officers, actual police officers with actual training and actual guns and actual ability to arrest people who merit being arrested. But he doesn't want to defund the police. He just wants to redirect the funding. By the way, the interviewer there is the disabled kind of got like a Stephen Hawking situation going on there. It wasn't like a computer voice that I guess it was a computer voice, but nevertheless, it wasn't like, you know, a generic somebody typed into Microsoft and had it read back kind of thing. 
Although I guess that is kind of what's going on there. Anyway, I just wanted to just point that out so that anybody thinks that I, I threw that in there. That's not like a soundbite. It's not edited. Um, I It is shortened for time, obviously, but that is the full thought. The guy asked, can we agree that we can re- redirect some of the funding? Biden says, absolutely. It's all you need to know. And for anyone who tells you, oh, Biden doesn't want to defund the police, really? Play him that clip. It's uh, It's on the Twitter page of the GOP. I actually saw James Woods, the actor, tweeted it out. But uh, that's that's really all I have as far as the big-time news stuff for the week. But I do want to kind of leave you on a, uh, not a high note, because this is sort of sad, but it was so sad it kind of made me laugh. Uh, I work in an office where they obviously, like, monitor my internet use, so I can't sit around and fart around on the internet the way that I used to at previous jobs. But because we're kind of a financial institution, I am able to look at websites that have things to do with the market. So I'm watching marketwatch.com or marketwatch.com. I'm also an investor myself, so I am watching the market throughout the course of the day because the you know stock market is not for the 1%. It is actually for like the 52%. If you have a 401k, it is invested in the stock market. Anyway, so this article from the moneyist on marketwatch.com. This is like one of these segments where it's like a Dear Abby kind of situation. This guy writes in to solve, have his problem solved by some stranger he's never met before. The headline reads, man, I wish this wasn't even real. I told my family I boycott Chick-fil-A over its support of anti-LGBTQ causes. Now they quote, like it on Facebook and go there for lunch. (laughs) So this guy, whoever he is, he didn't write his name here. He is offended as a gay man by the stances of Chick-fil-A, which he claims to be LGBTQ or uh, anti-LGBTQ, which is just simply not the case. It is pro-Christian beliefs, which means that it doesn't necessarily recognize uh, gay marriage or it doesn't recognize really gay relationships, but that does not prevent them from employing gay people, from feeding gay people. They have no qualms with the gay community as a whole, but they do have their Christian beliefs, and they are what they are. And this is a company that is so dedicated to its Christian beliefs that it's closed on Sundays every freaking week. It is 52 days that they could be making a boatload of money because, let's face it, that's what they do. Even being open six days a week, they're one of the fastest-growing fast food chains in the country, and if not one of the top fast food chains in the country. Christ, I wanted one out here in New Jersey for forever, and now they're popping up everywhere. As a matter of fact, I know somebody who owns a couple of them, went to high school with them. Um, so, And they're also incredibly cheap franchises to open. So if you have the means and you're looking for something to do, um, consider opening up a Chick-fil-A franchise. And if you can open one up closer to my house, I would appreciate it. But this guy, in his worldview, Chick-fil-A is anti-LGBTQ. Chick-fil-A has, by the way, catered to idiots like this in the past, and they stopped donating to places like the Salvation Army because they're Christian organizations. This is how silly the woke culture has gone, and for that matter, shame on Chick-fil-A for catering to it once, but uh, this family, I mean, these people might be trolling their gay family member a little hard, but at the same time, like, if you're... If you hold a belief about a particular restaurant, like, all right, I'll use myself as an example. I have a particular belief about Amazon. I don't like Jeff Bezos. I don't like that he funds the Washington Post. I don't like that he funds a lot of the big Democrat parties, uh, party members and, and campaigns and all that kind of stuff. I personally have made the decision to not utilize Amazon for purchasing goods because, frankly, 
That guy's got enough fucking money. He doesn't need any of mine. And yes, does that cost me some money on occasion because I have to buy a slightly more expensive product or a slightly more expensive to ship product? Probably. That is a decision that I've made. This is part of the morality of capitalism that people don't often talk about is, yes, it makes sense for you to spend your money on the cheapest, highest quality good. But if that cheap, high quality good in some way, shape or form, you know, it stands in opposition to your morality, you don't need to do that. You don't need to purchase that good. You can move on to another good. You don't need to force the guy to make your gay wedding cake. You can just move on to the next bakery, such is the case with. Chick-fil-A hole over here where he has told his family, I don't, I'm boycotting Chick-fil-A. And then when they continue to like and patronize Chick-fil-A, he feels that they are, you know, having some sort of, this is some sort of aggression against him. It's not an aggression against you, man. It's a love for good fucking chicken sandwiches, which is what Chick-fil-A provides in addition to top quality customer service, delicious waffle fries, and some excellent sauces to accompany all of the above. But um, this this guy, like, actually was so upset about this, he wrote into, like, a Dear Abby-type article on MarketWatch to, ha- to ask for how to help, like, how to get help in this situation. Here's how you get help in this situation. Seek help, because you need help. Instead of going to Chick-fil-A, take your money, put it aside, and spend it on therapy because you clearly need it. You are so offended by your family members enjoying delicious chicken sandwiches that come with good Christian values and American ideals. I mean, what? there is nothing anti-LGBT against Chick-fil-A. Are they the most supportive of the LGBT community? No, obviously not. It contradicts their particular belief system, but they are entitled to their belief system in the same way that this ass clown is entitled to his. And yeah, he's gay, and I called him an ass clown. I'm sure that makes me a homophobe somehow. And I would argue that 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 is not the case, but anybody who actually thinks that's opinion isn't worth my time or energy anyway. So this guy is so overwhelmingly distraught. He writes into this guy, and the guy responds back to him, and he goes, I don't know what... And the response is almost worse. Shame on you, moneyist. He says, and I quote, I don't know what's worse, being slapped in the face with a wet fish or being slapped in the face with a lightly battered fried cod filet served on a warm buttered bun from Chick-fil-A. They're both equally bad, I suppose. I feel... No, they're not. They Chick-fil-A... I haven't had the fish sandwich, but I could guarantee you that, that that sandwich is way better to be slapped in the face with than a wet fish. I digress. Back into the article. I feel your pain. Unfortunately, people often need to see the world from another person's perspective to understand how their behavior and or comments affects others or affect others. And even when that is pointed out to them, they would rather pull masks off a rack at a big box retailer or shout at staff who are courageous enough to work during a pandemic and in your family's case, post about their trips to Chick-fil-A, even though they are aware it alienates you. Pause. It doesn't alienate him. Just because he's offended by some fictional boogeyman that he thinks exists doesn't make it so. In the same way that it doesn't make it so that the T's and his LGBT community are not men simply because they believe that they are, or that Donald Trump is a fascist simply because the media tells you that he is. Things are not just true because somebody feels it's true. I hate to do this, but facts don't care about your feelings. And there is nothing about Chick-fil-A on its face that is inherently 
anti-LGBT. They do not discriminate against LGBTQ AAIP2 people who go to Chick-fil-A. They do not discriminate against them in the manners of employment. As a matter of fact, they are so concerned about these people's feelings that they actually stopped donating money to the Salvation motherfucking Army because that offended the LGBTQ community for some bizarre reason. And uh, kids will now go hungry around Christmas time because Chick-fil-A is not giving money to the Salvation Army anymore. Rather, they're giving it to some weirdo woke cause that uh, was, wasn't was wasn't woke enough because it wasn't an, like an LGBT. He didn't donate the money. They didn't donate the money to GLAD or anything like that. But they donated it to some cause that doesn't have some religious affiliation to appease the mob. If, in fact, Chick-fil-A was being a discriminatory against gay people or hated gay people in the way that this gentleman seems to think that they do or that they're trying to alienate LGBTQAAIP2 people in the way that this guy seems to think that they are, they wouldn't have catered to those mobs in the way that they have. I mean, as offended as these people think that they might want to be, because it's not how offended they are, because they can't possibly be that offended unless, of course, they've just manipulated themselves into being offended. I could tell you they are not nearly as offended as I am that on Sunday afternoon when I want to go get my number one deluxe with, jalap- uh, with, uh, with pepper jack cheese and my side of waffle fries, I can't do so because they're all at church, okay? I'm I'm way more offended by that, but you see, do you see me boycotting Chick-fil-A? Do you see me writing to the market watch? No, you don't, because I'm not the type of loser who goes running to complete strangers for to solve my non-existent problems I'm having with my family, who I'm clearly too big of a chicken shit to confront on my own, and he probably knows that somebody in his family reads this and is putting this out there in hopes that one of them will read it and reconsider their stance on standing with bigotry and waffle fries. He's a Chick-fil-A hole. I think I slipped that in there already, but that's that, that was my witty name for him. He's a Chick-fil-A hole. And that is all we have for this week. I got nothing else. I really don't even have much more energy left. Um, we covered a lot of ground here, man. We covered uh, we covered uh, federal law enforcement. We covered China. China. We covered Biden's slip-ups, Barry Weiss resigning from the New York Times, the Washington Redskins, and the non-traversy that all of that turned out to be. And, uh, and obviously the masks and the school openings. And, man, we, we hit a lot of real estate here. It's almost two hours into the show. Uh, I'm inclined to tell you once more all of the plugs. So be sure to follow me on social media at WriteOpinionPod on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Parlor. Email the show at TheWriteOpinionPod at gmail.com. Check me out at TheWriteOpinion.Podbean.com. Or you could just search The Right Opinion on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, as well as probably a few other podcatchers. Obviously, you can check me out at ratsaladreview.com, and you can no longer find this podcast at hackerhameen.podbean.com, but you can find it at hameenmediagroup.podbean.com if you haven't already subscribed over there. Uh, Actually, that won't officially launch until the day after this is being released, so if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, July 20th, HameenMediaGroup.Podbean.com should be up and running, and it should be available in all of your usual podcatching feeds, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all of that good stuff. So check them out and leave some five-star reviews for us so that we can get the word out and you can get the right opinion to more people than are already getting it. Because let's face it, there's a lot of people out there with the wrong opinion, and everybody's got an opinion. As a matter of fact, some would even say they are like assholes, but this asshole 
has the right opinion right here on the Right Opinion Podcast. I've been Harrison Bergeron. You guys have been awesome, and I will talk to you next time. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Boom. Boom.